ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Everyone and welcome to episode 21 of the Soulful MBA podcast. Today's podcast is all about rules. I'm Jenny Barcelos and I'm joined with my co-host Sandy Connery. Hey Sandy. Hi Jenny. Hi everybody. And this podcast was really inspired by an article that we read on the internet in the last week or so um, that, that was written by Mark Manson and It was called Life is a Video Game. Here are the cheat codes. And so we both have sort of strong opinions about this article, and we think it's worth a good read for anyone. And we think it also really relates to business. So we wanted to go ahead and take this episode to dive into this topic, share our own rules that we live by in our lives and the way that we run our business, and just sort of talk about how it's really helpful from like an emotional and psychological standpoint to have certain rules and standards that you hold yourself in your business to, because it gives you kind of like a a shortcut way of thinking about problems and thinking about solutions. So Sandy, I sent you this article a few days ago and I just said, Mm -hmm. you have to read this. We should do a podcast on it. And you did. And so what were your first thoughts? My first thoughts were why is she sending me this? Um, Because I just read the title and it was video game and my son plays a lot of video games. And I was like, this is not us. This is not who we are. It's not our audience. What's wrong with you? And then I read it and and then I read it again. And I actually really love the messaging in it. And his his writing is about like, like the game of life. Um, He's making this comparison to a video game. But then I read it uh, that second time I read it with sort of the eyes of like, business. And I think it could be applied and often business and life are so, you know, kind of mixed together, merged together, blurred together. Um, so I, yeah, I really, I love his writing style. I love his sort of humor too. So I, I enjoyed it, but yeah, I think it's going to be a good conversation. Yeah. And so basically just the premise, we'll have the link obviously to this article in the show notes, but you click onto this article onto Mark uh, Manson's site and it's like all these anime pictures from video games. That's what I'm going to draw for this. Oh, are you really going to draw them? Yeah, I'm going to draw. I'm going to let Owen choose the whatever video character I'm going to draw it for the the episode. Yeah. I mean, so, and I, I was like, huh, this, I wonder if this is not going to go over well, but I know that you like your like princess kind of warrior princess kind of stuff. So (laughs) we're going to just like run run with it. So it's really interesting because the article starts out by talking about like the levels of life, like how the whole goal in life is to level up. And we're not going to dig into this too much in the podcast, but we'll just maybe paint the picture for everyone who hasn't read the article. So basically Mark says that there are five levels in life and your goal is like everyone sort of starts at a certain level. Like we're not all born into the same level. There's not this like, you know, equal situation that we live in. Right. So there are five levels and your goal is to like, just try to constantly level up. And that's how, you know, if you're winning at life and like the first level is like basic survival, right? Like food and shelter, that's level one. And so some people are born into level one or, or who are like currently in level one. And that's, you know, none of us, like luckily, thankfully, anyone listening to this podcast is not in that space. And then the second level is, is basically safety and security. So you may have food to eat and a bed to sleep in, but it may not be safe for you because there's bombs going off or, 
you know, you have an emotionally unstable home life or something like that. So then like that's the second level. And then most of us are operating in like the top three levels, like three, four and five are his next levels. And level three is about finding your people, like finding people to love who love you back. And a lot of people get stuck here. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I, and we can talk about this too, like the analogy to business there. But I think it's also like finding your community, your tribe, your audience, right? And a lot of people never make it past that space in business or in life. And then the fourth level, when, you, when you've gotten that figured out, is to do something that's important and valuable to both you and your community, right? So that's that's often where a lot of, I think our clients are like, they sort of find their target audience um, and they find their community. And then it's about like how to actually make something that's serving them and also serving you. Um, and that's tricky. Like, I think you make it to level four and you sort of get stuck there. Like you kind of, you're doing all right, but I think all of us want to make it to level five, which is legacy. So how to actually create a legacy for yourself, for your life, for your business, for whatever you're doing professionally and personally. Um, and so those are the five levels. And so now the whole rest of the article that we want to dive into are like the cheat codes, like how to actually have some special tools and tips and techniques and rules of thumb to dive and jump from level to level to level. Mm -hmm. I, I think going from level four to level five, I think most people are at level four, as you said, but I don't. I think there's many who are not thinking about level five and that kind of plays back into like our meaning podcast that we had a, um, a few episodes ago about like leaving that legacy mm -hmm. and thinking your life and your business beyond just you as an individual and thinking about what am I going to leave after I, you know, after I leave this earth, what's left behind of what's my legacy and I, that, you know what, we should do a whole topic on that because I think that is a very interesting topic, but I think, I just don't think that people are, are all thinking about what is my legacy. They're thinking about immediate needs and, and staying in level four. Yeah. It's a, I mean, that's a good thought. I, I would love to know where people are thinking. Cause my, I feel like my brain, my mind, my being, yeah, since I was like 10 mm -hmm. years old, 11 years old is like mm -hmm. legacy. No. Like my entire life story has been driven by legacy. And I know that there's other people like that too. So, I mean, obviously I get distracted and I go bounce down levels. Like I've had periods in my <laughs> life where I'm like straight up level two you know, like wanting to know I'm not going to die, like both literally and figuratively, like putting myself in situations where I'm in war zones, like all of that stuff. Right. So I have put myself intentionally or unintentionally down a few rungs on the ladder, but I, I sort of have always had this part of me that's focused on that. And I, I mean, I think everyone does. And in some part, like we all, you know, we all have those moments where we think about like what, you know, what is the impact that I'm having in this place and this, in this group of people, like what happened, what did I leave behind? What am I going to leave behind? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we want to make sure that we're doing that with our business, you know, and it's not necessarily just like death <laughs> that, that, that surrounds legacy. It's also like if you leave or sell your business, right, what is your legacy? Like, what did you build and leave behind? And, um, like, what did you create that you can hand off to someone else that they can take with and run with and thrive with? And I think so, so it doesn't have to just like level five does mm -hmm. not have to be yeah. like shrouded only in thoughts of death and sadness and being gone. But, but legacy is important in a lot of other ways too. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, reserve that for another podcast. <laughs> That's like a whole other podcast. Yeah. Legacy is coming uh, out folks soon, folks. <laughs> <laughs> So the next section that he talked about was the design of the video game or the, the design, uh, how life is designed. Um, and his first point was that 
life is always continually throwing difficult and unexpected problems at you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, of course, that's true for life, but it's also very, very true in business. And so you can often feel like you're kind of, you don't own your life or your business. You're sort of out of control and these things keep happening to you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's reality. Right. And so, and, and he, but the way he frames that Sandy is what I think I found most compelling about this whole article which is that these challenges, these unexpected challenges are what actually give our lives meaning that like we spend so much time as human beings, like most of us preparing for risk and preparing for like the sort of expected things that are going to or could go wrong. And like, obviously there's things that we can't anticipate, but those are the things I think he suggests that define us. I mean, again, he's telling, talking about this in the frame of reference of a video game, but I think it's totally relevant to business, right? Because you can, you know, you can get a playbook or a plan book or a blueprint or a business coach or whatever the heck you want to get. And you have no control over the crazy stuff that happens in business, just like in life. Right. And so I think, um, and when he talks about meaning, that is such a rich conversation. Cause again, we've done a podcast on meaning, but he, he talks about how it's a real opportunity when unexpected challenges take place. It's a really powerful opportunity to sort of, for you to see what you're made of and to sort of draw from your, you know, your resources within and problem solve. And that largely like your success is based on your ability to handle those unexpected circumstances. Sure. You choose how you react to whatever's just happened, right? Like that's in your control. And I see a lot of people and this, this goes back to my previous days when I had um, a lot of staff and, you know, the, the old business that there's a lot of people who have experienced these things that are thrown at them but they, they, they really drop quickly into victim mode that this is happening to them. They have no control over this. It's not their fault. You know, this happened. I can't get ahead. I can't Mm -hmm. make the money I want. And there's all these sort of stories and excuses that life is happening to them and they play in this victim. And I have a huge problem with with that. Oh yeah, me too. I'm not a fan of the victims. No, (laughs) no. And I think, I think like um, to reference uh, Carolyn Mace's work, like she says that we have all have 12 archetypes and we all have the same four. Four of them are all the same for all of us, which is um, child, victim, uh, prostitute and saboteur. And so we all have victim in us um, and we can choose to sort of be in the higher light of the victim or in the lower. And when we talk about saying, you know, well, I tried to start a business, but then my dog got sick and. I got into a car accident and, you know, on and on and on. And these things happen, these things happen, these things happen. And I can't do it because life is throwing me these curveballs. And that's sort of, that's the lower, the shadow side of the victim where you are not empowered to take control of your life. You are not, you know, you're not stepping up and kind of owning that, that reaction to whatever's just happened. And so, you know, victim um, does have a really positive side. The victim archetype has a really positive side. And that's, that is empowerment. That's when you step forward and you start telling the truth to someone, maybe they're asking you um, to do something and you're so tired of doing it and you just keep doing it because you're the victim, but you step up and you say, no, I'm not doing it that way. You know, acts of honesty, acts of courage, that's all flipping you into the positive side of, of, of the victim archetype acting with integrity and all those things are, and, and just things for yourself, like 
acts that, that show self-respect, right? All of that can take you out of that mindset of, of, of victim and move you into like the, the more positive light of, of the victim archetype. So mm, interesting. I, I see, yeah, I, I see this, uh, you know, and, and it's, it comes up in a lot of excuses and, you know, and I just have no, I have, I, I did have this really wonderful staff member who I adore. However, she always was in victim mode and it was sort of entertaining because of all the things that happened to her. It was just ridiculous how her, she should write a book, but it was so classic victim. Like, and then she just kept, the more that she talked about it, like, oh, why does it all happen to me? Oh, look at all this stuff happens to me. The more happens to her, you know, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I, and I just, I love the idea to embrace that victim archetype and step into that empowerment role and run with it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. stuff's going to happen to you, but you choose how you react to that. You choose the outcome. Yeah, I mean, this is resilience, and that's that could be a whole other episode too to talk about like resiliency. And I mean, there's a lot. So th- this is interesting because there's a lot of evidence that I've read that that says that uh, when you have really hard things happen to you, especially at an early age, or perhaps maybe in this case, in an early stage in business, that, then you're more resilient and able to cope with bigger or more complex problems later on, because you've developed just sort of personal tools to use in your toolkit to handle those situations. There's also evidence that I've read since I, I sort of had like, I was sort of not in these like great stages for a lot of my younger life. I, I was dealing with a lot of bullshit and so there's, there's also a body of evidence that says like, actually, when, when you are constantly having a bunch of stuff happen to you or being in an unsafe environment, then, um, you actually sort of diminish, you can diminish your capacity to deal with stress later on. So, I mean, I, I don't think that, that there, yeah, like it, it goes both ways, I guess it's the two kinds of the card that you're talking about, Sandy, that, that like people either go one way or the other, right? Like it's, it's like people who grow up in broke, like super broken homes. Like some of those, those, those children go on to be drug addicts and go to jail. And some of those children go on to Harvard, right? Like that happens. You go either way. Yeah. It either way. It depends on like sort of that individual's, I think, ability to cope and to come up with tools that work for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think the victim role there's almost for some people, there's almost this, they see it as like a, almost a perverse advantage to falling into victim because they get lots of attention and a lot of sympathy, oh, yeah. right? Like, Oh, you poor, Oh, you poor thing. What did that happen to you again? That whole thing. And it's kind of, you know, it's a nice safe place to, to, to rest. And so I'm just, you know, if that, if you recognize yourself saying that, I'm just encouraging you to kind of start believing in yourself and stand up for yourself and speak for yourself and, and step away, away from that role. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that would be, it would be great to hear people's thoughts on this. I, this is sort of a contentious issue. So I, I imagine we'll get a little bit of feedback on it. So the next issue that Mark brings up in this design of life is that players respond to problems with either solutions or distractions. And this, I think, is so relevant yeah. for business. Oh, my goodness. So you either like you run into a hurdle and you either go into problem solving mode or you go into distraction mode so that you don't think about the problem that's staring you in the face. And it's so easy as an entrepreneur to find like 100,000 other things to focus on when the one thing you need to be focusing on is broken. Um, and like we certainly are victims to this, like 100%. And think this to me is tricky. This is what I have to be most aware of. I love to problem solve, but sometimes when you're building a business, the problems can feel really hard and insurmountable. And then you're like, oh, well, why don't I just go learn how to use 
Google AdWords right now because but then, but that's then you easier than that. fixing this thing that's broken. <laughs> but then you get distracted with all the other things when I you're know. researching something to solve the problem. It's all a distraction, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And what I love too is that he's talking about like once you figure out how to solve something, that becomes a habit and that allows you to level up, right? When, you're, when you kind of get into this sort of way of doing things yeah. and learning not to be distracted, that now becomes habit and then you can you know, solve these things that come at you quicker and faster. Yeah. Yep. Right. So that's the way you level up. And then, and it also just like turns it into an automatic thing so that you're much more likely next time you run into a problem to solve the problem versus find more distractions. Yeah. And then he, he dives in to like winning at the game of life. He has this like really funny formula, right? So it's like correctly huh. identify your solutions and distractions, eliminate the distractions. And then step three is question marks. And then step four is profit, <laughs> which is really funny, yeah. right? Because then what? Like, so now we're like, okay, I've gotten really good at solving problems. I'm going to like, keep solving problems, keep solving problems. Like, but then what happens? <laughs> like I have to have something else in order to take it to the next level. And I, I just want to go back to distractions because I think we see this, like the obvious is like you get and down a rabbit hole researching and going to article to article or, you know, you, you know, scrolling through Instagram or Facebook feed. But I also think there is distractions in when people are building their business with, you know, logo design and prettying up their website. And they're kind of distracting themselves with this sort of, I don't want to say unimportant work, but this is work that's not going to lead to money directly right now. Like instead, like choose a logo with some cool font and get on the phone and talk to people or, decide on your pricing and get it out there in the world or wh or whatever it is. But I think this distraction loop is really a dangerous place to stay where you, do I have the right equipment? Do I have, you know, the right iPhone or the right smartphone? Or do I need to get a better space to film my videos in? Is my background, you know, you just go and you, these, this, you distract and distract and you don't do. And so it's a very, very tricky place to, to get out of. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. Should we dive into the cheats? Let's do cheats. Okay, the cheats are the best part of the article too. So then Mark moves into the cheats. And I think this is the most important part of the article. So this is where he talks about sort of the short codes or shortcuts or special, you know, like special paths that your action hero can take to level up. So the, the first cheat that he talks about is I am responsible for this. So I love this one. And it this is a hard one to hold and hold on to. Um, I have a way of talking about this to, in our business, which is like the buck stops here. And I don't even know what that, that comes from. I'm sure like <laughs> it probably comes from something I don't want to be referencing, but I, I like when something isn't working or like we have a tech support issue and our dev team is on holiday, <laughs> like, or, you know, whatever, it's like Sunday night at 7 p.m. and something's broken or the server is running an update and people's videos are not uploading or whatever's happened for us, Sandy. Like there's always these kinds of things, you know, like, yes, it is not directly my fault that there is a bug in our software, right? However, 
Somebody has to have responsibility. Like, like I believe that that is part of running a business is that you have to be able to accept responsibility because you could, whenever you have a big team, like whenever it's more than one person, like, or if, even if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're, you're running the whole show, your whole online teaching business by yourself, but you're using a bunch of different tools. Like you're using, you know, a WordPress host and you're using like a site like Nama Streamer, you're using, um, like you're using video camera equipment that isn't working perfectly. Like it's, I believe that you have to accept responsibility when things aren't working. And when people are, are waiting for you and expecting something of from you and you can't deliver it as promised or as expected, even though there's been a technical failure or even though like somebody got sick and you had to take care of them for the week and you couldn't finish what you promised you would finish, whatever it is, like I still think you don't have like guilt over this, but you accept responsibility. Like, yeah, that's my fault. I'm sorry for that. I own that. Like there are things inevitably, like in almost any circumstance I can think of, whenever something's going wrong that I could have done differently that would have either prevented the situation or allowed better and more clear communication about the situation to clients or the team or whatever, right? Like there's always something to learn from something going wrong. And so I think that in our culture, because we we like have so many really big organizations, institutions, businesses where, you know, you, you like call Comcast or something or like you call, like, I don't know, Canadians don't know about this, right, Sandy? But like you call the cable company or the internet company or whatever, right? Because something isn't working and you're going to get passed on to five different people and managers until you get to somebody who's going to accept responsibility because they're going to be like, it's not our fault. We don't know why that didn't work. And I think we're in a culture and living in an era where there's so many big things going on that it's never anybody's responsibility. So if you can accept responsibility, that's going to help you as a human being, as a leader, as a business owner. And it also is a really empowering thing because you're able to start to see what could I have done differently? What can I do differently now to build um, resilience into my operation? Yeah, absolutely. And that would would have been my comment is that you can see it in the big corporations that no one will take responsibility ever. And that's what's so frustrating. And I think part of why we tend to get a lot of comments on our customer support and our reaction to, you know, our quick response to emails and so on is because we're there and we're like dealing with whatever the situation is. Right. So um, I hope, you know, we will never lose that. Like that's just part of no, I think it's like good company. Right. right. I mean, this, this goes back to a lot of what Seth Godin writes about now on his blog, which is just like with more and more automation and bots and AI with more and more of what we do socially, culturally becoming taken over by artificial intelligence and robots and technology that like the real need, like the scarcity in our culture and our businesses is around human connection and human responsibility. And so like, if you can provide that, especially as a, as a single entrepreneur, solo entrepreneur, freelancer, like that, you're so specially positioned to be that sort of voice of sanity and voice of humanity. Like that should be a, in my mind, like a core part of what you offer as a business owner. And it certainly should be for us as well. And we try really hard to, to be constantly aware of that, or if we're ever deviating from it. It's a, it's funny times when like, if you have a 1-800 number that somebody can speak to a person as a unique customer service thing, like, you know, how and when did that, that shift? Like that used to be the core of the only way. And now it's like, 
it's like really special if you can get somebody on the phone. Yeah. You know what, Sandy, I just, it just makes me think about when we first met and the program we were in and then a lot of the other kind of online business trainings we've done. I like, like there's so much talk about automation and, mm-hmm. you know, like even in emails, like there, there are all these like little hacks you can do to Gmail to like streak and boomerang and all this crap that you can use to like send mass messages without people knowing and have auto replies without people knowing. And, and, and I, see if they opened it and or see not, see if they opened it and track it in analytics. And I'm just, I've always been so turned off by that. I mean, we use email marketing automation, like, don't get me wrong. That's like a genius invention of the internet. Yeah. But that's but, different but than what different, you're talking right? about. So, so, but like this idea that you're going to replace your time with a robot is, is a dangerous, in my mind, a dangerous proposition and something to really consider carefully, especially when you're starting out in business. So anyway, that like stepping off of soapbox now, <laughs> like maybe we had this whole podcast just to be able to talk about this. <laughs> okay. So his so number next two, cheat, his next cheat, Sandy, is write this ish down. So let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's a, a great point. And I, and I believe that most of the, our clients who are in the health and wellness understand this point, but the concept of journaling, uh, getting it out of your own head, maybe it's actually not necessarily writing it down, but like speaking it, recording it and listening to it so that you can listen to yourself. And some of it, sometimes it just appears as straight up nonsense. And it sort of, you know, kind of jolts you into reality of what your little inner voice is saying. And I do a lot of journaling. I go through phases where it's every day and then I kind of take a break and come back to it. But to go back and look at that or just to get it out, sometimes it just completely reframes it. And, you know, just sort of tapping into that subconscious, like that physical act of writing and without too much thinking, like just write for the sake of writing and just see what comes out can solve a lot of problems. So I absolutely agree with this. Do, Do you journal? Jenny, I don't even know. No, I know. Like the writer in me wants to journal and aspires to journal. Certainly like there, I go through phases where I, I write things down, but no, no, you know, it's gotten to the point for me that it's hard for me to write because I'm so used to typing. Like I haven't mm-hmm. actually written with my hand anything very long since, I mean, more than 10 years. So like I noticed when I went to a writing retreat a few weeks ago and I was, I had a notebook. <laughs> I mean, I write in my journal, like my planner and stuff yeah, every day, but, but like to actually sit and write sentence. for like half an hour, it is mm-hmm. hard. It's actually like physically hard when you are out of practice. So mm-hmm. I, when I do write, I actually type and I know there's anyway, there's a lot of politics not, around. It's yeah. not the same thing. You're, you're, you use a different part of your brain. I know that like when I was building Namastream and I was having interviews with yoga studio owners, I was always writing notes in my notebook, like I have a spiral bound notebook. Um, But I was just like jotting, you know, little notes down while they were talking and out of our conversation, I wasn't like nonstop writing for an hour. Right. And so I find that really challenging. So maybe that's something I can take on as, as like Mm -hmm. a challenge to myself. Yeah. I think you would, I think you, it would be an exercise really valuable for you. Says me. Yeah. No, no, no. And I mean, you know, like Julia Cameron's morning pages, like there's a lot there. There's a lot to work with. There's a lot of frameworks that you can use to dive into that. Um, yeah. So maybe that's like a self-imposed summer challenge. Okay. Good thinking. (laughs) Cheat number three, stop Stop complaining. Complaining. Oh my God. I love this this one's hard. (laughs) This one's hard for everyone. Yeah. But you know what he says that made me kind of, you know, sit up and listen was it this is complaining is the least useful way to connect with others Mm -hmm. 
and it just sucks the energy out of everyone. And I think we've all been in that situation where someone's just complaining and it's so awkward and you kind of want to like agree with them and make them, you know, it's just awful. It's just awful. And um, we've all sat there and complained, right? But it's just sort of bringing an awareness to like, this is not a healthy (laughs) conversation. It's not, you know, people aren't enjoying it. And I just, yeah, it's the least useful way to connect with others. That's going to really stick with me. Yeah. And he basically said complaining is, is not like people are not doing it just because something's bad. They're doing it as a way to em- way. empathetically connect. And so it's like the, it's like the shortcut that we all know from being children to get empathy. And, it, and like you said, it's the least useful way to get that. So I think their solution there is to come up with other forms of connection that, that will work for you so that you can start to like hardwire your brain to, to do, do those other things when you're craving connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally like, I think every single human being I know can improve on this. My, yeah. Myself most included in that. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm too. like complaining to you right before the podcast mm-hmm. of like the semi truck that's like turning around on my property and I'm like mm-hmm. going, well, I actually go out and yell at them. So, you know, it's not just complaining. <laughs> okay. And so then here we have a disagreement on the next one. The next mm-hmm. cheat or the next rule mm-hmm. of life or business is to stop fantasizing. So I want to hear, Sandy, why you think this is such a bad rule. Well, well and, and maybe I'm misinterpreting what he's saying by fantasizing, but I like for for me, when you have a goal or where you you want to make a certain amount of money or you want your business to reach a certain, you know, target or you want to buy property, you want to go on it on it, whatever dreams or goals that you have, I think you do need to fantasize about it. I think you need to envision what you want in great detail with, you know, really, this is straight up Esther Hicks, you know, law of attraction is that you imagine it and you have emotional like connections with it. You feel what it feels like to be in the sunshine in Hawaii for that Hawaiian holiday you've always wanted. You know, like you really get into the details of what you're dreaming of and wanting and you feel it. And then that's when it actually starts to happen. When you lay down that kind of, that that kind of details, he's framing it as like a distraction to fantasize. So I don't know. That was my first reaction is like, no, no, no. I want everybody to fantasize about their dreams and their goals and where they want to live in that house or that car or that, you know, orphanage they want to volunteer at in India or whatever. Like what are, what are your, how did you interpret that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to have big dreams. So in that sense, like, I guess I would disagree. I don't think that allowing yourself to really imagine what you want. I think so many people don't ever even allow themselves to think about what they really want. Like I live on, in a little home on a piece of property on the side of a mountain on an island, I never would have dreamed of living on that I can walk down to a lake. And I mean, I literally can see like eagles soaring outside my window right now. Like that's my life. And it's only my life because I allowed myself <laughs> to dream of it. And and then and then it's a pro- like a process for me of problem solving to have it. And so I, I think like a lot of my friends and people in my life think I'm nuts because I do these things. And I don't think it's nuts because I just think like I allow myself to actually think about what I want and then go after it. And so anyway, so in terms of that kind of, I don't really, but I don't think it was a fantasy. I was like, where do I want to live? Yeah, but you opened yourself up to a new home. You wanted a house. Yeah, I wanted a home that like felt like home, like all the places I've lived for, Hmm. you know, my whole adult life have never felt like home, right? So now I have a place that feels like home. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. So then the other part, the part that I sort of agree with you on, Sandy, 
is that it's good to be able to dream and have goals and, and to like allow yourself to like feel the texture of what those experiences would be, because I think you're more likely to pursue them if you can actually really envision yourself having them. So that's important. However, there is evidence. And I, again, I'm not like some sort of psychologist or social psychologist, but I know I've read evidence that says like when, when you write your goals down, you're less likely to achieve them because there's some part of your brain that feels like just by writing them down that you already did achieve them enough. And I don't feel like that's true for me, but I know that there's actually a criticism, a sort of goal setting because of that. So I'll just throw that out there. So maybe he doesn't actually say that in this article, but I do think that maybe it depends on the person. Like maybe for some people, like fantasizing is is something like they're they're able to like live at live it out so much in their mind that then they're not going to try to they actually don't take action. pursue it and take action. So again, like this is my best guess at what he was getting at without actually saying it. Yeah, I I think there's so much power in our minds and what we can envision that I would say yeah, I just I just don't quite get this one, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it, I I really think it depends on the person, you know, like yeah. Even us, like we have these beautiful <laughs> rings that we got last week. And like a year ago, we made a Pinterest board and we said, when we reached certain goals, we were going to go together and get these rings. And like all these things came together and we did. And they're like, they're not just rings, right? They're symbols of something mm-hmm. for us. And, you know, if we had never taken the time to sort of make a Pinterest board and talk about it and get excited and <laughs> like we would never and share this idea with other people, like it never would have happened. So mm-hmm. I think, I'm, you know, and yeah. I remember like the first time I wanted to like run a half marathon or a triathlon or even have a baby or get into law school. Like I put those, like I made goals and I made vision boards and then like those things happened. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you. I'm more with you than I am with him. Let, I'll just <laughs> okay, like good. leave it there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Number five, share your shame. Oh, this is a big one. This, <sighs> this is being yeah. willing to talk about shame. This is all Brene Brown right here. Mm-hmm. This is like straight up Brene Brown stuff. This is just like your willingness to share something shameful or hard is like sort of how you are able to get over it and move on from it. I mean, that's what I took from this is that it's like a really important part of healing. And I actually agree with this. Like I, I've had, anyway, I've had things in my life that I feel like the only way I survived them was being able to share them with people close to me. So like dealing with the loss of my parents and my, you know, like what the surrounding that situation, if I had not just been able to openly talk, I think I would have been a mess for like at least a decade of my life. Like I'd still be in that mess. So I, th- I think that there's something about being vulnerable and sharing things that we associate with pain or shame that helps us to process those events and those feelings and then be able to move on and find success. And I've actually seen other people in my life who have had hard things happen to them who didn't feel comfortable talking about those hard things. And I think it eats away at them. Like it eats away Mm -hmm. at you if you are unable to share your hard things. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in business, it's sort of admitting that you made a mistake or that something didn't work and people love you more for it when you are not so perfect. Right. And yeah, I think there's something about us as humans that love to see someone else's struggles or failures, um, not in a gloating kind of way, but in a, huh, yeah, she's going through that too. You know, like there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of... And it doesn't need to be pub- super public either. Like I just no. remember, you know, even Sandy, when no, you, not ke- at all. you came on board and we became business partners, 
you came into a situation that like I was sort of all alone. And for me, I remember like I felt shame that I wasn't further along in the business than I wanted to be. Like I, I think by having someone else that I can share my, you know, like my setbacks with, or Mm -hmm. my confusions with, or my fears with, like I, it dissipates them. Right. Like, I don't know, like one of us, I feel like it goes back and forth with us. Like one of us will be having a hard time or have some fear on something or feel disappointed about something. And by sharing it with the other person, it just sort of dissipates and we can move on. And the same thing with joys, obviously also like sharing your joys. He doesn't talk about that as like a life hack or a a video game hack. Cheat. Cheat. Rule. (laughs) Rule as in the name of this podcast. He doesn't talk about it that way, but it's, I think just like being totally open with at least one other human being about what you're going through, whether it's amazing or hard, is a super helpful process. Yeah. Otherwise you're alone and dealing with it and just setting up for (laughs) some deep sadness and misery. Yeah. And everybody has them, right? I think that's what you realize as soon as you start being open-minded, you know, it's so funny, even like for me talking about parent loss, I was at this retreat a few weeks ago and I was talking to an author whose book I had read who had lost both her parents. And when I lost both my parents, I read her book when it first came out. And then we're at this tiny little retreat. She's like, oh, did you talk to so-and-so? And then it just, it like, she's here too. She had the same thing happen. And I just think it's, it's this really interesting mm-hmm. situation where like, as soon as you start, you feel so all alone. I think when you have something hard happen or you have a failure or, or whatever. And as soon as you start talking about it, you start to realize there's people all around you going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. knowing that, Like, even if you never talk to that person about the actual circumstances, you're like, wow, I'm not alone anymore. I'm not flawed. I'm not flawed. We're all in this together. It's fine. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's get into joy and hustle. Okay. Joy and hustle. So I'm going to do the joy this week. I am constantly referencing archetypes on this podcast. So I thought I'd share with you a website called archetypes. Is it plural? Yes. Plural archetypes.com. And it's a little quiz. Um, the person who made this website partnered with Carolyn Mace, who wrote the original work on body of work on archetypes. And it's a little quiz. You can just sort of answer. Actually, I found, I just did it this morning just to see what it was all about. And it's actually quite hard (laughs) to do this quiz. Like you have to really think. So you go through this, I think it's four questions or something, and then it will give you your top three archetypes. And mine is rebel. My first one was rebel, which is interesting. So surprising to me. Is it? Yes. You're the rebel. I knew that you're a rebel, but it was, it was so interesting because so the way they do it is like, they say you're a rebel and then you click on it and you can look at what that means. And it also will give you like, like the shadow character. So the family, they call it the family. Um, so you have the, the good characters and the bad characters of being a rebel. And I'm right up there with like Miley Cyrus and Johnny Depp. And <laughs> it's just, it's great. It so and then they funny. have all of these. And then I'm also a spiritualist and a caregiver. Those are my three. Huh, okay. So, and then you also have like, we all have child victim, prostate saboteur, and then there's others. And it's sort of an interesting process to figure out what those others are. But this website, they actually have like, if you know, if whatever your archetype that comes up beside it is the, is a perfume. Oh my God. There's rebel perfume. So we are in no way promoting <laughs> archetype perfume, just in case there's any confusion about this. And I had no idea. Sandy's like, I'm like, Sandy, what are you going to say for the joy today? She's like, I'm going to surprise you on the podcast. <laughs> no, it's actually really fun. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I think that these three questions are a little bit 
perhaps too simplistic. Like there's a lot more sort of deeper work to kind of figure out what you are, but it's a really good start. And when I read it, it was like, oh yeah, no, I am totally that. Do not box me in. You know, like it actually (laughs) said that in, in the description, but it also has like articles for you, like how to succeed at this. Like as a rebel, here's, you know, help to deal with it has all these different articles. So for each archetype, they have that. So it's actually, and it's all, there is a paid portion on the site, but what is there for free is actually quite helpful. So I think it's interesting and I want you to do it after I this. I will do okay? it, but I'm just going to ask anyone not to get suckered into buying the perfume. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I can't believe they have perfume for that's, each archetype. That's I know. Cray cray. I know. <laughs> It's awesome and cray-cray at the same See, there's a business in anything. <laughs> yeah, Goodness. no kidding. Okay, and The Hustle? Oh, The Hustle. Well, it's The Hustle is just this article just that we're talking about, so we'll link to it. So it's, again, Mark Manson, and his website, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, is markmanson.net, and the article is called Life is a Video Game. Here are the cheat codes, and it came out on March 30th, 2017, and again, we'll link to it in the hustle portion of the show notes. You should read the whole thing. It's like a 10 minute read. Um, if you're interested also, in what we've been talking about. He also has another article on his site called why he thinks that cell phones are, are this generation cigarettes. <laughs> I loved it. I, I haven't read it. that one yet. I oh love my God. almost everything he writes. I feel like he's crawling around inside my mind and like writing down what I think, which I think is why he's so popular on the internet. Cause he probably makes a lot of people feel like that. Anyway, yeah, he's super he's articulate. He's, he's great. And he's he's like a he's like a dude, right? Like he's like a we're talking about this. Like he's like a dude's dude. So it's really funny that we're like I know us so we're referencing and we're his like work. referencing him, but that's the way the world works. He's yeah. he's a cool guy, I think. All right. So with okay. that, we'll see you we're next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba sample.